The nail in the coffin! This is episode number 44 of our weekly Cleveland Sports Podcast. I am Tom Valentino, and I'm joined as always by Travis Uly. We are recording on Wednesday night. Uh, Trav, how are we feeling? Uh, not too bad. Tribe's just getting on this rain delay. Um, they've locked up the uh, AL Central, and uh, that's kind of the topic conversation. The Browns are giving us more of the same, though. Yeah, yeah, we've, uh, we've got plenty to cover tonight, and uh, the very cool thing is we've got a guest to join us, a very special guest, Craig Lindell of uh, Waiting for Next Year, um, WFNY, really as good as it gets when it comes to covering sports in Cleveland, and Craig has done an awesome job um, writing and uh, hosting their podcast, and uh, really excited to have him on here. Craig, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, man. It's uh, it's I, as I was saying before we went live. You've you've long been a Twitter avatar to me, and now there I actually get to talk to you. So you and I have followed each other on Twitter forever. I was trying to figure this out. Were you one of the guys that got in on the ground floor and one of the people that helped found the site with waiting for next year, or did you come along a little bit after? Because you've been writing for them as long as I can remember. Yeah, I was a uh, second wave. So the founders put it together. And probably three or four months after they started, I, I don't know how long, but uh, I kind of begged my way in. I was I, I'd been running my own personal blog um, since like 2000, late 2001, early 2002. And I had recently found kind of found my voice talking about sports. And I figured, well, why try and, and you know, I was getting links from them, but why try and do it on my own if, if they're willing to, to take me in? So I, I asked in and they let me in and I, I somebody congratulated me on um, LinkedIn on my eighth anniversary, which is really weird to have an eighth anniversary at a blog. Yeah. Did you ever envision being there and, and doing this as long as you have? No, no, I didn't envision any of it. I mean, I, I, I saw, it's not like, it's not like I won an Oscar or anything amazing like that, but I look at some of the experiences that I've had, you know, working the locker room at a Cavs game and being at training camp and working training camp and being an invited guest on Les Levine's show or, or just some of the radio I've gotten to do. And it's like, that's more than I ever would have imagined for myself. Maybe I didn't dream big enough or something, but no, it's, it's been really cool. And now you're, uh, you're making time for us too. So, uh, <laughs> thank you. We, we appreciate this will clearly it. Be, yeah. This will clearly be the highlight of that illustrious <laughs> list. You can I have to tell uncle Les the bad news. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked to Les on several occasions. He's a, he's a, he's a good dude. Um, we're going to go around the horn tonight. Uh, got a whole lot to cover. I'm sure we're going to sneak in a few uh, waiting for next year questions, uh, a few more of them anyway as we go along. But uh, let's uh, let's talk Tribe here. They uh, nailed down the Central Division officially on Monday night. Um, first Division title in nine years. Craig, did you ever see this coming early in the year or before the season started? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, early on, we were talking about Michael Brantley. And, and there was a lot of back back channel 
chatter about Michael Brantley and his injury and whether he did enough to take care of it soon enough to take care of it and who was mad at whom for how all that went. And the last thing that I was thinking was that Jose Ramirez was going to turn out to be this or Carlos Santana or Mike Napoli were going to have what appear to be career years. And no, there's just, there's no way. I mean, you, you thought the Indians rotation was going to be good enough, but to see them play this well, hit the trade deadline, get Andrew Miller. I mean, none of this, none of this. I saw none of it. Trev, I think we were a, a little more bullish on, on the tribe's prospects. I, I remember when we kind of did the, uh, the, the preview uh, at the end of spring trading, I think we had both said. We that were we, kind of right around the number. It looks like they're going to hit in terms of wins. And I think we both kind of thought that the division, it would take more than probably, 92 or 93 wins to win it um but yeah we were pretty close um I don't know if you told us hey uh you're gonna have a bunch of injuries to the starting pitching and Brantley's gonna be out most of the year but you're gonna win 90 some games and you're gonna be like fourth in the league in runs I don't I don't think we would have bought that but yeah that's kind of where I was going with it the, the way they've done it is is not at all I think what we saw coming hey Travis does that mean that you guys were delusional every year until this year um, probably. Yeah, that's probably fair to say. I tend to lean that way on most, most sports things. <laughs> um, as but, you should. Yeah. It's the only way to keep it fun really. But, um, no, I think we, we sort of expected the, the offense. I mean, we expected what everyone else thought the offense would be okay. And the pitching would be what carries the team. And it's sort of been an opposite. The pitching hasn't been bad necessarily, but it definitely, I think, the uh, the even offense, you know, sort of getting something from a different guy every night has really been what's defined the team. I mean, to be fair, the, the pitching is banged up. And um, Craig, I was kind of oh yeah, sure. Where I wanted to go with this next is, you know, as we kind of turn our attention to the playoffs now, how are you feeling about the team's prospects um, as we wait uh, to start the division series? Um, looks like uh, a week from from Thursday here. Um, we've got. Uh, Carrasco done for the year. Salazar kind of maybe sort of trying to get back in for the division series. Now we're hearing Corey Kluber uh, might miss game one because he's got the quad kind of kind of in a state of flux. Yeah, it's funny. Um, If you if you forced me to bet a thousand of my own dollars, I would probably be more with Paul Hoynes. But uh, I guess. Um, I do feel like if there's any playoff race in any professional sport, uh, baseball is one that, you know, kind of anything can happen. And, and I've, I've been reading all the different things that people have been writing about how you can attack the playoffs in a very different way where, where you minimize the impact of starting pitching and you get, to, if you have a deep bullpen, you, you get to it sooner um, you can really kind of game plan, especially in these in these series. And so I'm a little more uh, I think I'm a little more optimistic than I should be considering the injuries on the pitching staff. Trev, how are you feeling right now? I, I think you went out and bought some playoff tickets, right? I did. Yeah, I ended up with uh, sort of weird story. The uh, total side note here, though, the the Indians like ticket system was bizarre for when it went on sale for game one and so at first i couldn't get any and i kept trying to like check out and it kept kicking me out and i did it a couple of times 
and I've ended up with 10 tickets now to game one because I wasn't getting confirmations or anything. Um, and I'm like, I kept assuming that it didn't work. So I wanted to do it again. And now I got a bunch of spare tickets. So but, at least um, we see somebody like sprawled out with an entire row to himself. Uh, yeah, that's going to be that's good. Well, no, they're scattered all over the place. It's oh. Five different pairs just in various uh, various rows and sections of the upper deck. Uh, but no, I think I'm with Craig. I think, you know, the playoffs are always it's a much more of a crapshoot than you'll see in certainly in the NBA. Um, probably more random, even than in the NFL where it's a one game thing. Um, you see it happen just a lot more where the team that just happens to catch fire at the end of the season is the one that goes on to win. Um, but I don't know. I, you got to think with Kluber's their only reliable starter at this point. Um, I heard someone, one of my friends told me that, uh, Carrasco said yesterday that he could be ready in two weeks, which would be astounding at this rate. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the first I've heard of that. He said, I guess he said it on TV during the game, maybe two nights ago, the -hmm. night that they clinched. Um, I didn't. And and Jan Gomes has been trying to throw the ball too. This is, this is the, the Kevin love when his arm got pulled out saying, I don't know if I'm out or not (laughs) until so like he's out. Come on. (laughs) That's what, I mean, that's what I assumed, but I also wonder why they wouldn't just shut him down, though. But you're telling the truth. He did say that. Okay. All right. I didn't personally. I didn't see it, but one of my friends said that he had mentioned it on TV. So. And Jan Gomes with his hand fractures trying to throw the ball around too. Is he is he closer further than Carrasco? Are they both out? Is that just a given? I'm I'm just going to presume that it's operate as though both won't be available. It's player wanting to be back, but there's just no way. Right. Okay. Um, well, that being said, I mean, truthfully, it doesn't really change my outlook that much because I wasn't really counting on either one of them. Um, I, playoff baseball is just really fun. Um, I, I couldn't pass up the opportunity. I went the last time they were here um, in thir- 2013 and drove up from Columbus for the day, and it was that one play-in game. And truthfully, they played like shit. They didn't. I think they ended up getting shut out. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. I know they were scoreless through like seven or eight. Um, but no, they got shut out. It was miserable, and it's it's really hard to remember real playoff base. I know that's real playoff baseball, but you know, a one game series is barely real playoff baseball. Yeah, and it, the the frustrating thing it was the first year that they had that one game play in, and had they not had it, and had it been under the old system, the Indians would have gotten the full series out of it. So that was frustrating in and of itself as well. Um, but it was a hell of an atmosphere at the stadium. Um, it was a ton of fun. So I figured what the hell I'll go. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to know what to expect. I, I think I'm probably, if I'm, I don't want to get ahead of things here, but I'm probably trending towards, I'd rather play Texas than Boston. Although I'm not really crazy about either one of them. Um, but beyond that, I'm just hoping for the best, I suppose. Craig, do you care about home field? Yeah, I do, but uh, whether I care about it or not, it doesn't feel like the Indians care for whatever reason. So yeah, they sort of conceded that, I think. I'm um, trying to kind of roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, After I, they clinched the other day and trotted those guys out that most of us hadn't seen all year, it was kind of a given that they were just you know going to rest some guys. But I think the joke lineup that, that they – guys were hung over. I was going to say, I think the joke lineup that they put out earlier in the day on Tuesday that had like Matt Underwood playing first base and Rick Manning <laughs> in center field and uh, a few of the other guys, um, 
in their broadcast and communications um, might have fared better than what they actually trotted out there on Tuesday night. But, I mean, to be fair, that, that game last night, I mean, it was uh, a hangover day. And then tonight, they're basically playing through a rainstorm. So Cabrera oh. just hit a three-run shot to give uh, put Detroit up 6-3. Gross. Ugh. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> um. Where are we going with that? Oh, yeah. So the home field. So, Trav, do you care about it at all? Uh, yeah. I would much rather go to game one uh, where Kluber's pitching, personally, from from a selfish standpoint, um, than go to game three and, you know, see whoever the hell it's going to be. Tomlin get smacked around. But uh, he's been pitching better lately, so maybe that's maybe I shouldn't be so negative. But, um Truthfully, yeah, I think that they should have cared a little more about it, but I guess who? It's I'm not gonna bitch about it too much. I'd prefer it, but at this point, it looks like that's not gonna happen. Tomlin has been much better. We gave him a very hard time on here, um, deservedly so. Yeah, I mean, up to the point when he had lost his spot in the rotation, but we, you know, I think we kind of found out since then he had some stuff going on with his family off the field and, and just some other things going on. And that's always one of the, the kind of the dangers is you never know the whole story. And um, that that's tough, but uh, he's been really great. I think since he has come back and uh, you know, I, I, as much as home field um, seems appealing. And, and if you look at the Indian splits, especially offensively, they're much better at home than they are on the road. And they've got one of the most pronounced splits, I think of just about any of the contenders. Um, the thing that I, I kind of cling to, I guess, is I'd rather see Josh Tomlin pitching at home than um, trying to keep the Red Sox in the yard at Fenway Park. Yeah, I was thinking that. And I saw um, I saw that on Twitter today. I can't remember who it was exactly, but he raised the, the point that, you know, wouldn't you rather have your better pitchers go and, you know, hopefully keep the opponents low at their place than vice versa. So maybe that maybe there's something to it. I doubt that that's ideal for them, but I guess that is one of those things where, you know, that silver lining if there is one. All right, I definitely don't want to see the Indians go to Boston. Period. I I can't stand playing the Red Sox in the playoffs. Can't stand it. You lived there for is a while, be- didn't you, Craig? Yeah, I went to Boston U, um, and I was there when Manny Ramirez signed in Boston, and um, of course we saw what happened. Uh, Pretty much, you know, the the one the best chance the Indians ever had to win a World Series, uh, dropping a, a a series lead to Boston. I, I just can't take it. And that has, that's I'm assuming it sounds like that's not really even related to how good the team is this year. Just you you hate the Red Sox. Well, I do, but they're also I mean, ever since they kind of quote unquote broke their curse, you know, they they are kind of a charmed franchise. And I just, you know, I I certainly don't as much as I think the mojo was broken by LeBron and the Cavaliers, I don't really want to go up against, uh, you know, the the magical, the magical Red Sox. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. It's a it's a loathsome fan base magical Rangers, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody, uh, I, I think um, a couple of your colleagues, Craig, um, and, and a few others on Twitter got into a discussion about the 2011 World Series. And you talk about the Rangers and just 
kind of the fickle nature of postseason baseball. I mean, it's almost easy to forget now. In, in 2011, they were literally one strike away from finishing off the Cardinals in Game Six, and um, gave up the the two run triple to David Freeze, and then uh, the home run in, in extra innings. And we got um, the classic uh, Joe Buck uh, homage to his dad in the broadcast booth. But um, postseason baseball is just wild, man. It is. Uh, it is wild. Although I like I'm going to be honest with you, if the Indians aren't in it, I'm not watching it. And so I, I know that maybe that makes me a bad baseball fan, but I never claim to be a baseball fan. I'm a I'm a tribe fan. Um, I, I don't know. Do you guys watch the do you watch every World Series? Do you watch national playoffs no. that don't involve no. the tribe? I do to a degree, not, not religiously, watch, but I'll uh, I pay attention to it. I see scores and stuff, but I don't, I'm not sitting in my living room on a Wednesday night watching, you know, anyone else play even during, I mean, even during the playoffs while the Indians are in it, I'm not watching the other teams play. I'm really just watching the Indians games. Yeah. I was going to say we got into this discussion too, behind the scenes at waiting for next year. Cause obviously a lot of people were talking about the MVP and what does MVP mean and all this other stuff. And like, I gotta be honest with you. I haven't, I haven't seen Mike Trout play this year. Like maybe a couple sports center highlights or, or maybe something from the MLB app on my phone. But can you have do you know anybody who's watched an entire Angels game that didn't involve the tribe this year? No, I'm, I know I haven't. No, I, I don't know. why. I think baseball is a lot different that way in that you don't first. There's so many damn games, obviously, and that's always a factor. But if you're not invested in a team, it's pretty boring. Like, I know there's baseball purists that hate to hear that the sport's boring, but it really is. Like, if it's an acquired taste. Game, yeah, it is. And you have, I mean, you have to have some sort of um, investment in it. Um, obviously, football being on, like, well, now it's on three days a week, but being on really just one day a week where you can sit down and watch a whole bunch of football, it's, it's a lot different than watching a bunch of slow baseball games. So I think just the style of the game doesn't cater to having casual fans, really. Just to clarify, I, I am in the crowd that will pay closer attention during the postseason. I'm not going to go out of my way and clear my schedule to make sure I'm in front of a TV for every playoff game. But if I'm sitting home on a weeknight and there's playoff baseball on, I'm probably going to gravitate toward, gravitate towards watching that. But in terms of the regular season, I'm absolutely with you guys. I'm not watching a baseball game if the Indians aren't involved. And honestly, for that, that matter, like, one of my favorite things to do in the, in the summer is actually I, I'm kind of old school and that I still like to watch the all-star game. I, I, I know that probably makes me in the minority and I know the ratings on TV were just terrible for that this year. And it keeps trending downward every year and, and all that. But um, it, it just, it's become shocking to me in the last couple of years, like when they go through the player introductions at the beginning of the game. So these are the all-stars and how many of those guys I've not heard of, let alone seen play during the year. I'd rather watch the Pro Bowl. See, I can't do that. It sucks, but I'd rather watch the Pro Bowl. Really? I wow. I don't watch either one of them. I usually will. Usually I'll tune in for Home Run Derby, but um, even that I follow casually. I'm probably not sitting down watching the whole thing. I'll kind of follow it online maybe while I'm doing other stuff. But I think this yeah. is me being old now. I don't watch the Home Run Derby. I also don't watch the uh, the Slam Dunk Contest. Like I'll, I'll catch some yeah, GIFs or vines the next day. 
Yeah, I, I haven't watched. I haven't watched a slam dunk contest in a few years either. There are other, the other contests on NBA All Star Saturday Night are way better than the dunk contest most years. That three point shootout. Yeah, yeah, by far. Yeah, dunk contest has had a couple of decent years recently, I think, but. Um, by and large, so it's crap though to see the good stuff. Yeah, ninety percent of them are trash, and the guy will take like six tries to get to get the, the good dunk to work finally. That's an issue. Um, Craig, let me ask you this: uh, you know, it, it's no secret the Indians are not exactly the draw at the box office that um, the Cavs have been um, as long as LeBron's on the roster, and uh, you know, through uh, the rare good times and mostly bad of the Browns. Um, their television ratings are still pretty good, though. Wh- what do you think a, a really good run in the postseason this year over the next month could do for the Indians, if anything, in terms of fan interest and, and just viewing habits for the team? Well, I think the TV ratings will stay about the same. Um, unfortunately for the Indians, I think like, OK, let's say it's a wild, wild success. Um. But let's say let's say it's a wild success and they don't win the World Series because I just I can't even possibly predict what would happen if they won the World Series. But let's say they they lose in the ALCS. Um, what do the Indians do? Do they sell an extra one thousand um, season tickets and they go from like eight or nine thousand to ten or ten thousand five hundred season ticket holders? It's like they they fought they've fallen so far back in terms of season tickets at least according to what I've read from Pluto and some other people who, you know, who have that direct connection to the Dolans and the front office. It's I, and I don't, this isn't me, you know, lambasting Indians fans or, or the Indians of their front office. I just think baseball has, has, uh, I mean, in 2016, we reward scarcity and the, Baseball is the anti-scarcity, especially when you consider the number of major league games plus the captains plus the air, uh, not the arrows, the rubber ducks plus the scrappers plus, you know, whatever, all of them across the board. I, I think we're just in a, in a moment in time where um, you know, baseball is going to have a, a more and more difficult time having anything more than a niche fan base uh, at the games live. That's an interesting theory. I hadn't really thought about that. The one that I had trotted out there on a past episode that we did, um, and I'm not going to go into a a whole long dissertation now on it, but um, was that, you know, I could remember, like, I worked down there for a year as an usher, and it was 02, so it was like the first year after that 90s uh, group was really broken up and and the rebuild started. And I could just remember, even back then, they were kind of coaching up the employees on um, presenting a good game day experience, regardless of on-field performance. And I just feel like so much of what they've done to market the team has been trying to insulate it from whether they win or lose, Um, whether it's renovations to the park, new scoreboards, more restaurants going in, more um, the, the bar in right field. Um, a lot of the promotions they're doing, it's win or lose. It's, it's, it's an entertainment destination. And I just kind of had this feeling like when you put that much emphasis on that aspect of things for so long and you condition people to think about it in those terms and you look at like which days of the week they're drawing best, it's the days of the week when people are typically going out. Um, 
I just, yeah, I don't necessarily know if you could have it both ways that all of a sudden, oh, now winning's going to matter at the box office because now it's a uh, factor that's working in our favor. Can I, and let's throw out one other thing because, uh, you know, and, and I, I get why they do it. And I think in a lot of ways it's smart, but they've, they've kind of, um, so they, they've taken the tickets on the weekends and, and against the, the bigger opponents and they've done their, their market variable pricing, whatever they call it, right? Mm-hmm. And so now they've conditioned everybody into thinking that it's $50, let's say, to go sit in really good seats on a Friday night. And so now everybody's muscle memory is that, oh my gosh, my family of four costs $200 plus food to go to the game. And meanwhile, it's a much, much better deal on a Tuesday in, in uh, May or early June before the kids get out of school. But everybody's conditioned to this idea that tickets cost a whole lot more than they do because the variable pricing leads people to believe that whenever they go, they're really expensive. And and so I think in a lot of ways, the variable pricing allowed them to capitalize on the more popular games, but it's also hurt perception of the value of the ticket in a major way. I'm not, I'm not totally sure that, I mean, truthfully, I'm not totally sure that it can be done for that cheap. Um, I'll, I'll say one thing. I had a couple tickets that I had gotten from, um, f- from the opening day fiasco where I had, where I got these tickets to a game that I couldn't end up going to. And they were like $70 tickets. They were good tickets. Um, and I put them online and I couldn't get anyone to buy them for $12. And they were a Saturday game, um, in May. It was good weather. I couldn't give them away. Um, but later in the season, I went to a game and our tickets ended up being $12 a piece. Um, by the time we were done though, all we had was two beers a piece. Um, I think we bought some peanuts or something. We still end up spending over a hundred dollars. Um, so, so even, you know, if you're getting tickets for 30 bucks for a pair, you're still going to spend, I mean, with parking and a small snack or something and a couple beers, you're still going to end up spending close to a hundred bucks, which it's for me, it's not a deal breaker, but I can't do that. You know, I see guys that go to, it seems like they go to every damn game. I don't know how they do it, but, um, it, it would add up over time for me. Well, I I don't think they're going to have any trouble selling out these playoff games. So here's hoping that, uh, you know, that, um, we have a fun October here. Um, yeah, I feel like that just brought (laughs) the mood down. We're going to the playoffs. Let's yeah, I keep, I keep it keep it upbeat. Exactly. Who cares how much it costs? Can't take it with you guys. <laughs> you could take ten seats with you though, because uh, you're 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 giving your, your level best to make that happen right now. Yeah, that's for damn sure. Hey, uh, let's shift gears. Let's go to the Browns. Um, Do we have to? <laughs> no, I I, I want to bring this up just because uh, Craig, you had I, I listened to your podcast you did earlier this week, and I read your article after the game on uh, Sunday against the Dolphins. And the the takeaway, the big takeaway that I got from you on both of those was that um, coming away from that game and the way those two teams looked, you'd rather be in the Browns position than the Dolphins. Can you explain your thinking on that? Yeah. Um, the Dolphins are much further along than the Browns in terms of being – a finished team in terms of, Hey, we got all these guys, this experience level We're at this point in the salary cap. And now if, if you and I have an honest conversation about the dolphins in the absolute best case scenario, 
best 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 case scenario um i think we're we're looking at like a pro- maybe a 9 or a 10 win team like all things equal i think the dolphins are probably a 6 to 8 win team year in and year out this is with Ndamukong Sue with Mario Williams with Tannehill with with all the pieces they put in place and all the spending and and acquiring they've done of talent they've they've peaked um with this team and they're nowhere near good enough to to battle the Patriots in their division or probably even battle for a playoff spot um and so that being the case I know the Browns are nowhere um I know they've got more cap room than they know what to do with, and I know they don't have a quarterback yet, but I might argue that they can get there faster than somebody who's potentially in cap hell and thinks that they've built something that's just going to disappoint them. With that kind of magnetism towards uh, six to eight wins, I feel like the Dolphins should be coached by Jeff Fisher. But uh, 500, baby. <laughs> speaking of them... Okay, so you're saying would you rather be in the in the position of the Browns or the position of the Dolphins? Let me ask you this. Knowing what we know right now today and what we've seen so far around the league this season through three weeks, would you rather be in the position of the Browns or would you rather be in the position of Jeff Fisher and his Rams? That's a good question. Um, I'm going to say the Browns because I wouldn't want Jeff Fisher as my coach, but I guess they could fire Jeff Fisher pretty easily. I, I, he's going to get fired. Don't you think they were, weren't they talking a couple weeks ago? Like, uh, there's basically an extension done for him and they were just waiting for a good time to announce it. Yeah. But as we've seen here, an extension doesn't mean all that much. (laughs) That's true. Um, are we still paying he's Romeo? Like se- he's like the second or third highest paid coach in the league, though. That's incredible. Jeff Fisher. Yeah, I, I heard this list today, and they were listing out the highest highest paid coaches in the NFL. And somehow he was right up there. And I want to say in, in something ridiculous, I want to say he's making like as much as Belichick, basically. Must have been his riveting performance on Hard Knocks. Um, no kidding. But no, just the reason I asked that was, you know, the Browns have kind of taken a lot of crap uh, this year. Um, and the latest reason is that they passed on Carson Wentz. But um, in a weird way, I almost kind of feel like for once, maybe things kind of maybe worked out for them because it feels like what we had heard was that Jared Goff was the guy that they wanted. And it was only once Goff was not going to be available to them at two that uh, that they ended up um, backing out of the the second draft position and deciding to you know push things back to next year and um, you know I mean if you're the Rams right now and you're looking and you had a chance to draft either one of those guys and you went with Goff and you're looking at what Carson Wentz is doing for the Eagles especially after you know he put it on the Steelers last weekend um, I'd be feeling a little bit nervous considering that. Goff, from all we've heard, can't even beat out Case Keenum to this point. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely scary. Um, the, the Carson Wentz stuff bothers me a little bit. Um, I mean, and this is something we've talked about, uh, of all places, in the comments section at Waiting for Next Year. But there's, there's a lot, as far as the Browns are concerned, there's a lot of chance, or there's a chance, that both the Eagles and Browns could win a trade. Like, sometimes both sides win a trade um 
if RG3 ends up playing well for Washington and the Rams end up doing really well with all those draft picks, both of them win, you know? And so it's always conceivable that both sides could win a trade. Um, it's impossible to figure out if the Browns have won that trade or, or, or at least held up their end of the bargain for, for two more years because they've got a first rounder and a second rounder coming. Um, so there's no more important position in the league, and, and it does appear that the Eagles nailed it with Carson Wentz. But, I mean, we're talking about a guy who didn't even play Division one, you know, real top-level Division one college football. He was a risk. Just because he worked out, let's not pretend like there wasn't risk there. Everybody scouts a guy. Um, you never know how he's going to react once you put millions of dollars in his pocket. It's all, a, it's all a gamble. There are so many different things. Who knows? Maybe you draft him. He comes into your locker room. He makes friends with the wrong receiver or the wrong cornerback or the you know whatever, the wrong offensive guard who gets himself pulled over in uh, North Royalton drunk with pot in his car. You never know. No names, please. You just never know. Yeah, no names. Um, it, but everybody wants to pretend like when something works out that there was no, it never could have worked out any other way. And I'm not saying that Carson Wentz would be a disaster if drafted by the Browns, but it's it's just, it's too early and both sides can win this trade still. I am in 100% agreement and I'm glad you laid it all out that way. Because, I mean, for me, I will say that the Browns lost that trade and really screwed up if the next time they play the Eagles, which will be uh, four years from now, they play up once every four years. Um, so you'll see the Eagles here in what would it be? 17, 18, 2020. And if Carson Wentz comes here with the Eagles and he's Carson still lose to Deshaun Kaiser. Right. I was going to say, I mean, it's entirely possible. I mean, that the Browns go out in the draft next year and if they're at the top of the draft, go out and get somebody that's even better. Um, so I, for me, if if we get to 2020 and the Eagles show up in Cleveland with Carson Wentz still playing very well and the Browns still don't have a quarterback, which, hey, let's be honest, is still within the realm of possibilities given the track record of the Browns. Um, but if that does happen, then, yeah, you could say at that point we screwed up. But, I mean, in the meantime, yeah, I, I think it's completely jumping the gun. Trev, did you want to jump Can in? I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to soapbox it too much. I don't want to. I don't want to take Travis's time here. But um, you know, another team that I follow closely because my wife is a Colts fan is the Colts. You know, she's from Indianapolis, and right now they're a disaster. Um, and Andrew Luck looks like he's not the quarterback that everybody thought he once was. But I watch them enough. You know who's not the problem? Andrew Luck. <laughs> they they held on to this awful GM. They held on to this coach that they were thinking about firing that team is a disaster right now. And it has nothing to do with Andrew Luck. It's they, they haven't supported that guy. How much? Um, and so it, it's a lot, it's so circumstantial, all of this stuff. Anytime you've got a 50 plus man roster and a hundred guys playing per game on, on both sides, it's just crazy. How much would the Colts look like the Browns right now? If they didn't have Andrew Luck under center? Oh yeah. I mean, please, they would look almost exactly like the Browns. I agree. Including yeah, pretty... DeQuell Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot oh, he's still in the DQ. league. Yeah, incredible. Trev, incredible. let me ask you about, about this. Um, the quarterback that we do have playing right now, Cody Kessler, 
Uh, I actually, I, I missed the first, uh, I missed the beginning of the game. So I guess I probably missed the worst stretch of the game for him. It was kind of a shaky start, but um, from what I saw the rest of the game, I actually, I felt like he looked kind of competent and way more productive than we led, we were led to believe he was going to be. What did you take away from how he played on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, he, well, his first series was very Brownsy, and I think uh, two fumbles, a false start, a sack, um, all in all in the course of three plays, I think was what it was. Um, so it was awful right away, um, which I guess chalk it up to nerves. And I'm sure that's there's some validity to that, but um, for the most part, yeah, he was serviceable. He wasn't he wasn't that good. He didn't you know he didn't he didn't wow you, but he made some decent throws. He didn't make any big mistakes. He was fairly efficient and effective without really knocking your socks off. So, um, yeah, I mean, definitely performed better than I think most thought he would um, because we'd been hearing, you know, for the last week reports that he's nowhere near ready. And I don't know that he was necessarily ready, but he wasn't that far from it. Two things I took away from his performance that I was really impressed by. Number one, I felt like he showed a real willingness to hang in there and throw a good ball, even when he knew yep. he was about to get obliterated. And he took a few real big hits because um, of the Browns line in front of him, uh, serving as a turnstile as it was. Um, and the other thing... Hey, Austin Pastor was not a turnstile. He was too busy holding. <laughs> the other thing was... Um, I was impressed by seeing just how many times it actually looked like he was scanning the entire field and you could actually see him going through a progression and looking from one side of the field to his second and third options all the way from sideline almost to sideline. And there are guys in the league that have been playing for several years that I feel like still struggle with that. And he was already doing that in his first game. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I give I all think... the credit to Hugh Jackson. It was very reminiscent to me of of the way he coached up A.J. McCarron to play in the playoffs when Andy Dalton was hurt. Hmm. I like that comparison. And, Tino, for you and I, we've been saying all season we don't want to see Terrell Pryor taking snaps. We don't want to see him at quarterback at all. Um, I still probably lean that way, but the way that he used prior to take some of that pressure off of Kessler, I think was really good for him as well. Um, made him a little more comfortable. Um, and admittedly prior was pretty damn effective. Um, not necessarily throwing the ball, but just kind of doing everything. Um, so yeah, I agree the way that Hugh handled it. Um, I thought was great for the kid. Craig, let me ask you this just before we, we get off the Browns and, and move to other things. Um, you know, I think expectations were really just low in general for the team entering the year. Um, and did you guys have any discussions uh, with within your crew over at Waiting for Next Year in terms of just how you wanted to approach a season like this? And has really anything changed for, for the site or for you personally as a fan now that you've gotten to see um, the team play three games and, and kind of see what they're about? You know, I, I, uh, we, we didn't have a lot of discussion about it, you know, uh, certainly not the same level of discussion about, Oh, how are we going to cover this as we've given to, um, we had those conversations when LeBron came back, how are we going to cover this team with LeBron? How are we going to cover, um, his second year, 
uh, with expectations as high as they've ever been with the Cavaliers picked to win the championship. People forget that they were picked to win the championship before the Warriors went full Warriors last year. Um, but anyway, the um, we had more conversations about that kind of a thing. We, we don't, uh, a team like the Browns, you know, we didn't spend a whole lot of time talking, you know, larger strategy and everything else. It's the only thing that was confusing about this Browns team was when they signed RG3 and the, the idea that they might be able to find a long-term solution at quarterback because he's not an old guy. He's a guy who showed something pretty magical um, his rookie year. It's a guy that you, you think uh, a quote-unquote guru or, or coach like Hugh Jackson might be able to help turn his career around. That was the only wild card that I think kind of confused the issue about what the 2016 Browns were really going to be. Um, and once he went down, it was not even so much depression as much as it was like, oh, okay, yeah, so they are going to be exactly who we thought they were. The wild card is dead. Um, no offense, RG3, I didn't mean dead, dead, but, you know. Um, it they're, they're going to be this, this supremely young team. The, the weirdest thing, the, the other part of it that is so weird is that they waited so long to cut a guy like Paul Kruger. Um, you know, if you're going full rebuild, it, it didn't make sense to me necessarily that he even kind of broke into camp the way he did, um, and made it through the preseason and, and things of that nature. It's so, I blame the Browns a little bit too, but anybody who saw the way they they traded down and accumulated future picks should have known that they weren't really playing for this year. So um, I feel like I rambled my way through like three quarters of your question. No, that's all right. I just I, I guess the only thing that you know we just we're gonna kind of look at now is just I mean, all right. So now we're in a point where Cody Kessler's playing quarterback and. Uh, you figure Corey Coleman looked really good when when he played before he got injured, and uh, he'll be coming back at some point this year. And Carl Nassib will be coming back. And I feel like there are some young guys that I mean, maybe the the wins and losses are still you know, the same old Browns. But I am I crazy for feeling like there might be some signs of hope here uh, buried in the rough? No, no, because it's one thing to play young or to gut a team. I mean, we saw Mangini kind of gut a team and, and he did so in a very different way where he brought in all the old jets, whether we're talking about what Brett Ratliff, um, oh, God. Owens and all those, all those characters while also drafting Alex Mack, but he wasted an entire second round with Momass and Rubisky and David Bakune. Um, David Bakune is the long lost answer to a obscure Cleveland sports jeopardy question. But, um, you know, we, we've, it's easy to, to break a team down, to tear it down. Um, but then to keep all those draft picks and people were mocking the Browns. I was kind of looking side-eyed at them for keeping all those draft picks, but then to have so many of them, you know, whether you're talking about Nassib or, or Kindred or, um, I'm not going to laundry list them all, but to, to see them and, and not hate watching them play is encouraging. It gives you a little bit of faith that this front office might know what it's doing when it comes to using all those extra picks they've accumulated and and that maybe that two- or three-year horizon, assuming they can put themselves in a position to get that quarterback finally because they can't punt on the quarterback one more time, um, that if they can find that quarterback this year, that you know we'll, 
it'll be another rebuilding year in 2017 as we watch the new quarterback kind of come into his own and, and make mistakes on the job. But, um, you know, that we could be looking at that kind of three, three and a half year time horizon for this team to really, truly be dangerous. Trev, any thoughts on that? No, I think that's that's pretty fair. I I, I don't, honestly don't really have a whole lot to add to it. I, I like that David Vicuni shout out, though. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that name in quite some time. Craig, you, but, uh, um, go, no, I'm sorry, Trev, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. You're fine. Go ahead. No, I was just say, Craig, you, you help, uh, Zach Jackson and Andre not with, uh, with the A to Z podcast, don't you? Or you, you've done some stuff with them. Um, yeah, I help them edit files a little bit and, uh, I help them with some of the stats, uh, and things, but that's, that's about it. Like, well, I wish I could say I helped them with their topics or like show prep or something, but I don't do any of that stuff. Well, I was going to say, if David Vicune shows up as uh, their, um, obscure, obscure Brown of the week, I'm going to, I'm going to know where they got the suggestion. So, oh, it's going to be, sir. I, I bet Zach wrote a bus with him. <laughs> <laughs> Congrats, Zach. Uh, uh, I wanted to ask just a few uh, waiting for next year related questions, uh, just a couple more, then we'll we'll let you get out of here for the night. Um, you know, you, you were starting to talk just about some of the meetings that you guys have and the discussions that you have and just how you shape your coverage of the site um, in terms of what you're doing with each team and you know, one team versus another. How much of what you guys produce is driven by what interests you guys as writers um, versus what is going to move the needle in terms of readership. Because like one of the things for us, as I think we know, is like no matter as bad as the Browns are, people are still going to gravitate towards them because it's the Browns and it's the NFL. Um, how does that work for you? Well, pretty much everything that we do is something that, that somebody at the site wants to do. But we we – how we figure there's a minimum level standard of coverage to say that you covered a season of the Cavaliers. So we make sure that there's some coverage for each one of the Cavaliers games. And we make sure there's coverage for pretty much every Indians game. We, we actually skipped the, uh, the day after the clinch. Um, but that was, I think that was the first game we skipped all year. So um, the Indians. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was kind of our point. Thank goodness. But, um, no, and it's sometimes it's a source of frustration for people, and and it's nice that people think of us in a certain way and try and hold and hold us to a standard. But every now and again, we'll be like, you know, Dayton's making their way through the NCAA's, and you guys haven't covered them at all. What are you doing? And it's like, well, we're doing the best we can with stuff that people like. It's not it's not a shot at Dayton. You know, we love Dayton, and and uh, our own Jacob went and and we edited do. the. Edited, edited the paper at Dayton. So yes, we do. Um, but you know, we, we only cover what we can cover, you know, and, uh, we've committed to the three teams plus the Buckeyes. And, uh, and even like when it comes to Buckeyes basketball, we drop the we don't do very well. We drop the ball most of the time. Um, and so it's, uh, it's mostly driven by what people want to do and what we have capacity to do. How do you guys try to differentiate what you're doing versus just the, just to stand out in the marketplace, because the one thing I've always really respected about waiting for next year is I feel like you've never really resorted to any sort of cheap gimmicks or um, really. Uh, uh, I, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what other terms you want to use for, it, but there's, there's not a lot of garbage. The stuff that you guys put out, it, it's all good. And 
Um, but but that's hard to just do quality stuff all the time um, and not go for the cheap pop, so to speak. So when you've got so many different outlets in town that are covering the same teams as you, how do you stand out? Well, I first of all, I appreciate that. It's it's really t- it's been uh, a lot of the site's been different. You know, it's been through different phases. Early on, it was easy to differentiate ourselves just because um, any alternative voice was a differentiator. You know, the there was one maybe two game, games in town, and we were we were offering an alternative, and there weren't a lot of alternatives, and and certainly, um, you know, that changed a lot. Um, and then for a while, blogs were, were, and especially waiting for next year, was faster than everybody else. We used to be faster than Cleveland.com and faster than any of the TV stations. And they kind of adopted what we did, you know, not we like waiting for next year, but like blogs. I'm speaking on, on the general blogosphere kind of a thing. And, and so we lost our edge in speed. And so that kind of forced us to go back and say, all right, well, if we can't win in the speed game because we don't have full time employees making salaries who are who are trying to get, you know, 300 words and a tweet copied into a post. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not downgrading what they do. I'm just saying, you know, we used to do that kind of stuff. And now we can't be the first ones to do it before it ends up on like a Cleveland dot com or, or 923's site or or any number of other places, let alone the nationals like for the win and Deadspin and um, up rocks. Um, a lot of those sites, we like a lot of those people, but we just can't compete with them the same way. Um, so now we're kind of back to voices and, and if we, so we're, you know, we, we try and do things a little bit different in terms of the, the way we talk about things and the, the, the way we deep dive into things. And I, I, it's weird. I, I kind of think that right now, um, is probably all, all due respect to previous iterations of waiting for next year. I think this is probably about as good, um, as we've ever been just in terms of knowing what we want to do and executing what we want to do and not trying to be something that we're not. Um, a lot of times behind the scenes, there's been a lot of like, not, not fighting, fighting, but like debate and discussion about, what we want to do and who we want to be. And, you know, we made some mistakes. We used to post some things that I'm not like totally proud of or things that like, why do we do that? Did we do that to serve an audience? Are we doing that to game the traffic system? You know, but I, I always kind of rely on the fact that, you know, we had those talks. Um, we, we were able to kind of audit ourselves and analyze ourselves and realize that we needed to stop doing certain things and, and to, to refocus on the, the stuff that was most important. And so, but no, I mean, the answer is it's, it's changed a lot. It's changed a lot over the years. And, uh, I'm just thankful that, you know, we've been able to change enough that we're kind of still relevant. It's, it's tougher than it used to be though, man. There, there used to be a fire hose of traffic and you know, you get a link from SI or Deadspin, and people just don't consume content and, and, it's just they don't consume this the way they used to. Well, I can promise you that uh, while we're proud of the, the show that we're doing over here um, and we're slowly but steadily climbing in numbers, I don't think we're in any sort of stratosphere to be putting any sort of a dent in the waiting for next year dot com uh, traffic. So uh, you can sleep easy tonight knowing that uh, Trav and I are not taking any money out of your pocket. 
yet. There are enough dozens of listeners now. out there for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, you got anything you want to plug here before uh, before we let you get out of here? Um, as always, the waitingfornextyear.com podcast, the official waiting for next year podcast on iTunes. Um, you know, it's 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 a grind. You guys know what a grind it is to do a podcast, but it's uh, that's what I always wanted to do. I never thought in a million years I'd have a chance to kind of, quote unquote, do my own radio show. Um, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way because you've got it's a, it's a passion play to start a podcast. You, you guys aren't cashing checks. I, I'm guessing. We're not. Um, so it's. We better uh, not be team. I promise I'm not holding out on you. <laughs> I expect to split that 17 cents or whatever you had come in. If people knew how much I spent on equipment and hosting and all that stuff to, to, to not make a dime on that podcast, it's like, it's depressing. It's depressing. But um, no, so the, the podcast is, is the big thing for me. And, and of course, waiting for next year.com. Well, I'm. I'm glad you certainly uh, told everybody about the podcast. Cause I will tell you this, like for me, I started first podcast I ever listened to, I think was streaming um, the, the old Bill Simmons podcast on ESPN page two from my desktop. back when I was working at the news Herald uh, many years ago. Um, and, and I just kind of got interested in the genre back then. And I started looking for more. Um, but I think yours was really, like the first one that made me realize that um, you don't necessarily need to have a, a four letter network or a multi-billion dollar um, media company backing you to get a podcast off the ground and, and do a, a good show and, and entertain people. So um, at least in that respect, um, I, I'm glad you've stuck with it and uh, sunk the money into it. And uh, um, it's been, uh, it's been fun having you on here. I'll also say really quick, I, I think personally, I follow, I look at two blogs regularly, um, Waiting for Next Year and Eleven Warriors, the one down in Columbus for Ohio State. And the thing that really sets those two sites apart, I personally think it's that probably 95% of the guys that are contributing content to both of those sites are also very active with random fans that they come across on Twitter or whatever the case is. They, they, they interact with everyone outside of, you know, going in and, and putting, like you said, their 300 word article up for the day or whatever it is, and then calling it a day. Um, there's a lot of sites that pump out that stuff, that sort of content, but what sets those two sites apart, I think, and what makes them really work is the fact that they interact with these other fans who aren't doing their job and really, you know, and all don't have anything to offer. Really. It's not like you actually know these people and you're not, you may never actually run into them or talk to them, but um, the way that all those people seem willing to, you know, include these other random people with them is, I think, what sort of sets them apart and really makes them a little bit more special, I think, than a lot of those other sites. I appreciate that. And certainly, you know, we've had the same experience with the 11 Warriors guys. It's it's uh, some something about the way that we've built that site um, has enabled has enabled us to have an audience that isn't just like a bunch of trolls. You know, we don't have a comment section like cleveland.com or YouTube. Um, we have God. a comment section. It's like a bunch of friends and, and that extends to our Twitters too. Like, uh, I mean, we, I think 
I don't, we, for whatever reason, we don't get trolled a lot. I don't think we're out there spreading negative energy. And so we're not getting negative energy back. And it's, it's just a lot of fun. So I appreciate that, that that shines through. Good stuff. Trev, uh, anything else before we, uh, we wrap up shop here? No, I think that about does it. Do we know when's the tribe playing? When's their first game going to be? We should know that, right? I think Thursday, right? Is, Thursday sounds right. Is that dependent on how the, the playoff bracket shakes out? But I thought it was going to be Thursday. It's, it's not. They're going to play, I think, on Thursday no matter what. It's just we're not sure if they'll be home or away yet. Because okay. both ALDS games, game ones, are on the same day. All right. Well, uh, I think you and so, I will be back on for another one of these. To We can plug another one before that, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, you know, hey, Craig, thanks again so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, likewise, man. Thanks so much. All right. Hey, everybody, if uh, this is the first time that uh, you're checking out our show, we uh, we do this once a week and uh, you could subscribe on uh, iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play Music. And our website where we've got all our old episodes is uh, thenailpodcast.com. And uh, we've got a Facebook page and a Twitter page, too. So pick your social media poison and, and go there. But uh, Trav and I will be back next week and I'm sure we'll be talking Indians and uh, whatever else pops up. Uh, so uh, our thanks once again to Craig Lindell and uh, for Travis Julie, this is Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin and we will talk to you again next week. Pit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on!